Hello and welcome to Avatar the Podcast. We are your hosts, Acorn Bandit and Booster Greg. Hello, everyone. We are so close to the end of Book I'm two. freaking out. It is ridiculous. That means we are almost two-thirds of the way done with the initial Avatar The Last Airbender series. With the first wave. That is absolutely nuts. And I don't remember if I... I know I told you this. I don't remember if I did it in a recording, though, where I downloaded the audiobooks for the yes. Kyoshi books off of Audible. So they, they sent me an email. They're like, hey, do you want some free audiobooks if you renew? And I go, uh-huh, uh-huh. 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 I'll do it. I'll these do it. One. So I'm these ones. These ones. So I got those. I am ready to go. I cannot wait. I'm so excited. Yes. And just because we want to take every opportunity to talk about what we're going to cover in this podcast, we are going to be finishing Avatar The Last Airbender, all three books. Mm-hmm. We'll be going into the comics, the video games, the books in general, including the Kyoshi novels. And then we're going to go into Korra. So yes. rest assured, dear listeners, we are doing it all. Yes. it's. I'm so excited. I cannot wait because we've never finished Korra. So No, we haven't. So that's going to be a lot of fun to get back into. And uh, just going to put this on everyone's horizon. As we did with book one, we are going to do with book two as well. We're going to take a little bit of time off just to collect ourselves and prepare for book three. So there might be a little bit of a gap. Not to worry. We will return. We just don't know how long that gap will be yet. And just like we did for book one, we are going to do a book two recap. Yes. So get your your MVPs ready, your morals of the story, or really morals of the season. Mm-hmm. And let's talk about this journey that we've been on and wh- what all happened in book two. So you have that to look forward to. Yep. And Rob, get your spreadsheet ready. We'll need yeah, it. I was just thinking about that. <laughs> Hope you've been keeping track, Rob. Please. <laughs> Thank you. Today, we're going to be talking about Book two, episode 18, The Earth King, or as we like to call it, Truth and Persuasion. That's right. And today's episode was written by John O'Brien and directed by Ethan Spaulding. We join our friends shortly after their escape from Lake Laogai. They've relocated to a small island where they discuss their next steps. Sokka suggests they build on their success and go back to Ba Sing Se to confront the Earth King about the war. Toph points out that things don't normally go that smoothly for their little gang. And Katara reminds him that one good hour after weeks of struggle isn't much to work off of. Sokka insists that he has a good feeling about this. Katara advises they keep flying and just leave Ba Sing Se behind them because with Fang in control of the city and the Dai Li, it's just too dangerous. Aang chips in and says, with Appa, they have a better chance of telling the Earth King the truth about the conspiracy and the war. It's two against two, and the group finally goes along with Sokka's plan for the sake of change. When they brought up the fact that they have Appa now, they can go wherever they want in the world very easily. It reminded me a lot of video games and modes of transportation. Like in a Final Fantasy game where you hit that point where you get an airship. Yeah, like <laughs> you Final can Fantasy. travel around freely. Or w- World of Warcraft and you get a flying mount. Yep. like. Basically, you're tethered to the ground so you get to see the sights. You really get to look at the details and like develop as a, as a character. And, you know, the environment kind of helps you out. And then all of a sudden you can fly and you're like, oh, I don't need any of this anymore. I can just literally go wherever I want, whenever I want. So, so long, cool looking, <laughs> like well-indulged backgrounds. Now we're just in the air. We're going wherever we want. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's kind of like I love Appa, but that. I think we got spoiled with how much we maintained like 
a grounded kind of feel in Ba Sing Se. Yeah. And even at the end of the last episode, when they were talking about going to Whale Tail Island, I was like in my head thinking, oh, yeah, they can just fly there. Yeah, it's it's right an over. island, but no big deal. Yeah. And then Katara is like, you know, it's going to take us weeks to get to just the edge of the Earth Kingdom. Right. And then we have to find a boat yeah. and go out to this island. I'm like, oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> Appa makes things a lot easier. Yeah. I also like in this moment where... <laughs> Sok is like trying to be positive and optimistic and like, yeah, guys, we can do it. Let's build off of our wins and and save the day. And Toph is like, I don't trust this new positive Sokka. Did Long Thing <laughs> brainwash you? You've been brainwashed. I don't trust you. It's uh, Yeah, I chuckled at that too. And um, her blind joke, I got a big chuckle out of too. She's like, I'm sick of seeing Bossing say and I can't even see. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. All four ride bareback on Appa to the palace in the upper ring of Ba Sing Se. As they approach, Katara warns them that Long Feng has probably warned the king and the palace guards about them. On cue, royal earthbender guards begin launching giant rocks at them from the palace grounds. They dodge the projectiles and Aang breaks a few with earthbending. They finally land and Aang uses more earthbending to create giant pillars that throw the guards back. As they approach the palace, more guards appear and bend more boulders at Team Avatar. But now, Toph is on the ground and she helps Aang destroy and knock away the attacks. Behind them, Katara uses water bending to knock the guards away, apologizing as she does so. I, I just want to point out how much Aang has learned from Toph and we really see it in yeah. this moment because he is on Appa's head kind of like steering him, right? And there are giant, what did Sokka call it? Boulders? Yeah. He, oh, he yeah. Called it like um, ground to air rocks. Ground or to air rocks or whatever. And without flinching, without moving out of the way, he just chops right through them with earthbending, which is exactly what Toph had been trying to teach him all those episodes ago at the beginning of book two. Right. To be unmovable, to be. Yeah. You don't move. You make the rock move. Yep. We especially see that when the one rock was coming from the side and he, without even looking, yeah, he just raises his hand oh, and it so cool. bursts into, into a ton of little rocks. And even there was one coming right at Appa's face and they didn't steer course. They just went right mm -hmm. through it and it split right in half. It was really cool. Yeah, super cool. Yeah. There's also that moment where Toph is on the ground and just... Again, to watch these kids bend is just an incredible sight. Mm. Toph uses that one move where she has this like slab of rock come out of the ground and like spins from side to side, yep. hitting the rocks that are coming at them from the front. Yeah, so smart. So neat. Yeah. I do want to make a note about the Royal Earthbender Guards mm -hmm. because I was reading. So there's a couple different like groups that maintain order in the city you know we've seen the daily agents a lot we've seen the earth kingdom soldiers who man the walls well this is a separate group that maintains order around the palace so the royal earthbender guards of bossing say which are commonly known as the king's guards are earthbending warriors within the earth kingdom who are affiliated with neither the daily or the army instead they serve as personal protectors of the earth monarch as elite troops of Ba Sing Se, they are tasked with guarding the royal palace, serving as gatekeepers of the outer and inner walls of Ba Sing Se, and acting as sub-commanders for the Ba Sing Se army troops. They're also responsible for the safety of any properties belonging to the Earth Monarch, such as the Royal Vault. So kind of like uh, the king's own secret service, so to speak. That is exactly what I was thinking. Yeah, yep. Yeah. I think it's like a, a secret service deal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's good to point out that there's a difference too, because if you're watching this episode, 
you could very easily just say, oh, it's just the Daily more armored or something like that. Yeah. Like, yeah, because yeah. they're they're attacking actually quite different kind of bending. But the fact that, that they are attacking Team Avatar, because when I first watched the episode, I was like, oh, it's the Daily. And then we see like a little bit later when they get into the throne room, I'm like, you're not. You're different. What is going yeah, on? Yeah, their hats are different. Yeah. Their their clothes are different. And actually a note about the armor, I also read that the visuals of the armor is similar in appearance to that of the brigandine armor worn by both the banner soldiers and cavalry units of the Qing dynasty military. I can see that. So that's cool. Again, more historical inspiration and references taken for the Ba Sing Se culture. It's kind of not weird, but like for me, most of my Asian history and culture reference points comes from dynasty warriors or samurai warriors. <laughs> right. Because they yeah. wear all that same like armor and stuff. So like when I see it, I'm like, oh, yeah, that does look like that from that time, from that thing. Yeah. And in Japanese culture, uh, the ghost of Shishima, I'm sure. Yeah. Right. Oh, that there's another one, too. That's a little more recent. Yeah. But yeah. Well, more guards appear and launch two giant badger mole statues at them, and Aang and Toph together create a rock barricade that protects them from the impact. Katara then launches herself over the moat with waterbending and knocks the guards into it, then freezes them in place. At this point, they've reached the palace steps. In one powerful move, Toph flattens the stairs so that the new wave of guards that have appeared slide down it, around the platform they've made into an elevator. As Team Avatar slides up the newly flattened stairs with Aang and Toph earthbending and Appa helping by airbending with his tail, Sokka calls to the guards, seriously, we're actually on your side, guys. And then, sorry. <laughs> I love how they're just apologizing as they break their way into the palace. It feels very Jackie Chan-esque in that like vein yeah, where he's like does. going through his very goofy. He's like, sorry, sorry, I don't want to. Oh, no, sorry, please just. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I, just, I just got that vibe <laughs> off of it. and I, I loved every second of it. They're being like super proficient and skilled. And yet they're also like sort of being gentle and apologizing as they go. Like Katara, for instance, she's using her water bending to knock people back from the pathway and then into the moat and freeze them in place. And she's yeah. just like, sorry. Yeah. Everyone is more on the defensive and on crowd control than they are of doing exactly. any, any real damage. Yeah. They reach the top of the steps and are confronted by even more guards. Aang and Toph bend the ground on either side of them into giant walls and use these to push the guards back, allowing Team Avatar to run into the palace. They fight their way through the opulent hallways, searching the rooms for the Earth King until they finally spot a pair of giant green and gold doors. Sokka attempts to kick open the doors with a flying leap, but they don't budge. It takes Aang airbending the doors down for them to enter the Earth King's royal reception room, where they find the Earth King on his throne, surrounded by Bosco the Bear, Daily agents and Long Fang. What? How did he get there? Oh no! Oh no! The very person they're trying to avoid. Just when it was all going so good, <laughs> they were doing so well, and then <laughs> it's the pesky and meddling Long Fang and his Daily agents. I, I did like when they were running through the palace, and they were like, <laughs> Sokka has that ooh wrong room kind of feeling because it reminded me <laughs> of the second episode ever. I think it was where Aang is on the Fire Nation ship and he's just like trying to get out and he opens up the yes. room and Iroh's right there. He goes, sorry, wrong room. And he like leaves. It had that yeah. vibe for me. I really like that. It definitely did. Nice callback. And also just, oh gosh, the design of the throw room. I have to gush for a second. Yeah, it's so Because good. how gorgeous. Not only is a giant, mm -hmm. there's this like hunched badger mole statue behind the throne 
with like hanging curtains and lanterns and pillars. It just, it looks so cool. It really, really is. Like I was very impressed. For me, a lot of the backgrounds tend to blend into the background. I mean, that's kind of their job. But like this yeah. one, I was, yeah. I was watching and I was just like, wow. Like I can just imagine myself being in this throne room and just like yeah. feeling so little in it. It's a tense moment, but you're also like, ooh, yeah. ah. <laughs> <laughs> this is also where we see the Earth King for the first time. Mm -hmm. He has been a man of mystery this season because every time Team Avatar gets close to seeing him, he's always like shielded in a palanquin yeah. or Long Fang intercepts them before they can get very close. Mm -hmm. So what was your reaction when you actually got to see him? I was like, this nerd? Really? <laughs> He does look kind of <laughs> studious, right? A little scholar-y. He reminded me of, if anyone has ever seen Digimon, like the first season, Joe from Digimon, who was like oh, interesting. the nerd of the group. He had like, he had very same, like the glasses, obviously, but also like those kind of like slim, tall features that kind mm -hmm. of like really lended itself to it. And then his voice even more reinforced that for me. Because he had like a yeah. fairly higher pitched voice than like next to Long Fang, who is just like the the deep, bassy. And deep. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But the Earth King, I, this is the only casting note that I have for this whole episode. Oh, yeah. Well, like I have another minor one later, but this is like the first time we've heard him speak. And it's actually none other than Phil Lamar. And I didn't even notice this until after I looked it up because Phil Lamar for me, I know as Jon Stewart from the DC Animated Universe, Green Lantern, he is also Samurai Jack, which is very interesting oh. because Mako did the voice of Aku, who is the villain in Samurai Jack. Yep. And when he passed, Greg Baldwin also took over. We talked about how we've kind of been hearing Greg Baldwin in these past couple episodes as Iroh. Mm -hmm. But we, there was that connection. He's also, he was in Pulp Fiction, the movie. Oh, wow. Okay. A little bit. Yeah. He was the, uh, the big part where Samuel Jackson is kind of like yelling, like, say what again? He was one mm -hmm. of the other guys in that room who they end up, I think, kidnapping or something like that later on. And Futurama fans will know him as Hermes Conrad. Oh, really? Yep. Yep. Oh, and uh, Static Shock from the DC Animated Universe as well. I can't forget that. So he does oh these gosh. very wide range of characters. And after knowing that this was Phil Lamar, it sounds like he is doing static shock without any slang vernacular or any like slight accent to his voice. Mm -hmm. It's just very straightforward. So I can hear it now. But when we first listened, I was like, who is this? Yeah, that's that's actually like a testament to his voice oh, yeah. acting skills, because being able to play that range of voices and to the effect where you hear him and you can't place who it is. That's that's saying something. Yeah. I mean, usually I, th I feel like I hear him with his deeper tones, which is yeah. very much the Jon Stewart. He was in Young Justice and did Aquaman is that very same like deep and you could hear in his voice and his enunciations, but his enunciations were completely different with this voice. And I was, I got a new respect for Phil Lamar. I didn't think that was possible. Very cool. Yeah. Well, now that we've actually seen the Earth King, I do have a note about the Earth Monarchs and the clothing that they wear, because as we've seen, even in the palace itself, there's a lot of greens and yellows and golds. Well, I learned that the Earth Monarchs often wear clothing in bright shades of yellow and in Imperial China, one of the major inspirations that was used for the Earth Kingdom Yellow was a color reserved solely for the emperor and was often associated with the element of Earth. So that was a pretty cool direct parallel. Mm. And a note about the world of Avatar, the Earth monarchs are the only leaders of the four nations to have never demonstrated any bending ability. Uh, so while our 
Not true, though. Oh, is it? Boomy is the king. He's not an earth monarch, though. But he's a king. <laughs> he is. He's the king of Amashu. Yeah. But back in the episode, the king of Amashu, I made a brief point about how... He was elected. Yeah, he was elected and the, the kingdom of Amashu is still under the earth monarch in the earth kingdom. Fair. That's fair. So Boomy's the king of his little city, but then the rest of the earth kingdom is under the earth king. That's very interesting that it is the monarchs don't bend when like we know the fire nation, like their leader bends like their emperor is a fire. It kind of hinges on them being a bender. Yeah, that's very interesting. So then I guess, yeah, Luten must have been a firebender, even though we never see him do it. I would assume so. Yeah, I don't know. Anyways, that is like just a stark difference to literally every other like uh, civilization in here, I feel like. It seems kind of appropriate, though, because at least to me, the Earth Kingdom seems more grounded Ah! and less. Yeah, (laughs) 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 they're more grounded and they're less ambitious like the Fire Nation is. And the Northern Water Tribe, at least, is very traditional. So I could see their leader needing to be like a waterbender who is upholding the traditions and the culture of their group of people, which is very much based on bending. The Earth Kingdom seems a little bit less focused on bending to me. And we've, we talked about this last episode, too, where we haven't really seen many earthbenders in Ba Sing Se. Yeah. And I even hazarded a guess that perhaps that's controlled. Maybe the Dai Li and the rest of the government kind of control how much bending their citizens learn just to keep things kind of at a certain point. Oof, that's very modern China-esque. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. 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 Although now I'm trying thinking of the the water tribe too, especially with uh, Princess Yue's dad. And I wonder Mm -hmm. if he even could bend either because I don't remember seeing him do so. Yeah, I didn't either. But again, the, the absence of information is different than, you know, like it not being true or being true. So. Right. Yeah. Really. There's a smarter saying about that that I can't remember right now. (laughs) But yeah, it's okay. Yeah. The absence of evidence is not the evidence of absence. That's the saying. Oh, okay. Well, regardless, the moment has arrived and Aang tells the Earth King, we need to talk to you. He and his friends stand in a line in front of the throne, elements and weapons drawn and ready. They're here to overthrow you, Long Fang warns. Katara and Sokka insist that they're there to help and to trust them. The Earth King points out that they've invaded the palace, lay waste to his guards, broke down his fancy door. Why should he trust them? He has a good point, Toph says. <laughs> yeah. It's like, why are you attacking us if you're our allies? And Sokka's just like, ah, I don't know. That's a great query. <laughs> Let me get back to you. <laughs> if you're on my side, says the Earth King, then drop your weapons and stand down. They comply and are immediately restrained by the Dai Li agent's rock gloves. Long Fang orders the Dai Li to arrest them, saying, make sure the Avatar and his friends never see daylight again. The Earth King looks up in surprise. The Avatar? Long Fang smoothly brushes it off, commenting that what does it matter who they are if they're enemies of the state? Bosco lumbers over to Aang and gives him a sniff and a friendly lick. <laughs> Upon seeing this, the Earth King agrees to hear what they have to say. I love that. I don't know. Bosco seems to like him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and as we've seen, Bosco is a very important member of the royal palace. Yeah. Having gotten a feast all to himself. Yeah. And they charge Boku bucks just to sit near him. So very true. Mm-hmm. 
Aang tells the Earth King about the war and how the Dai Li have kept it secret from him for all these years, and how they've been using blackmail and brainwashing to maintain control of the city. He even stole their sky bison. All lies, Long Feng says. I've never even seen a sky bison, your majesty. The Earth King struggles to believe their story, and all the while, Long Feng whispers in his ear about them being part of an anarchist cell that his agents have been tracking. I have to trust my advisor, the Earth King finally says. As they're being led away, Sokka claims that he can prove they're telling the truth. Long Feng claims to have never seen a sky bison? Well, have him lift his robe. Long Feng refuses, but Aang uses airbending to ruffle his robes up enough for everyone to see the mark off his teeth left on his leg. Long Feng claims it's a birthmark, but they bring Appa into the throne room and compare the bison's teeth shape against the mark. The Earth King is convinced, but still doesn't fully believe the conspiracy. He finally settles on the matter being interesting enough to look into. Long Feng scowls and sulks out of the room. I can prove it a little easier that Long Feng is full of crap. How's that? So if there is no war outside of the walls of Ba Sing Se, which is what the Earth King believes, uh-huh. then the Earth Nomads were never exterminated, so the Air Bison are not extinct. <gasps> Ooh. Why would he say the Earth Bison are extinct if he's a terrible liar? <laughs> That's one slip up. Well, yeah. the Earth King might just be terrible at like history or yeah, something. And, th- and there's other things too. Like there could be like reports like the Earth King could have said something like, I haven't seen Air Nomad in my lifetime. And then it could be yeah. like, oh, well, you know, they died out or they're sticking to themselves or their air bison, which is how they got around, all perished. So that's why I haven't seen them. Like, like you, you can headcanon your way around that. But uh-huh. I thought it was kind of funny. It's a pretty big slip up. Yeah. 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 For Long Feng to be like maintaining this narrative or this lie about the world, the air nomad genocide was the start of it all. That's yeah. I mean, it was so impactful that their structure of time in this world is tracked by it. Yeah. AG is after genocide, after yeah. the airbender genocide. So it's pretty significant. So I would feel like that would be a pretty big slip up if it's like, oh no, there is no war majesty. Uh, everything's great out there. Everything's thriving. It's all good. Don't look past these walls. I'm convinced this episode shows that Long Fang is on par with Zhao in terms of because like Zhao was good at some things, but terrible at other things. So yeah. like Long Fang is great at keeping the king deceived, but like he's not so great at actually lying. He's better at the act of deceiving and like keeping someone in the dark. Yeah. Essentially, he's the master of smoke and mirrors and curtains, yes. but he's he's also like not a fighter either. I've noticed. That's true. He just kind of he backs uses away. his daily agents yeah. to do all the the dirty work for him. That is true. He would also be terrible at Among Us. I'm just gonna say that. <laughs> Put that out you there. Think so I think he would be. <laughs> Especially with what we hear him say later with all these excuses that he comes up with. It's right, like, right. I could see that. You're, you're sus. You're sus. Long thing. <laughs> no, I didn't vent. What are you talking what about? You talking I've about? been here the whole time. Dilate agents. Take <laughs> them out. <laughs> I didn't vent. What are you talking about? The Earth King invites you to the Lake Lao guy. <laughs> yes. Why does he keep saying that? Just eject him. <laughs> oh, man. Also, this part when the Earth King is like working through his response and he's like, okay, I'm convinced. And Team Avatar is like, yay. And then he's like, but it doesn't mean that there's a conspiracy out there. And they're like, oh, <laughs> and then he's like, well, it is enough to look into. And they're like, eh, yep. OK, yeah, yep. we'll take that it. Works. We'll, we'll take it. <laughs> I loved that must have all been improv, all those little lines, because like everyone like was saying such little things where I think someone is like, yeah, I'll take it. it was, I think it was tough, maybe. <laughs> I think I heard two people say that. Yeah, yeah. I love really it. Funny. 
The Earth King joins Team Avatar on the Ba Sing Se monorail to go see Lake Laogai, causing quite a stir among the other passengers. The Earth King shares that he's never been outside the palace before. When they get to Lake Laogai, they discover the underwater entry point was destroyed. Sokka tries to spin it in a positive light, saying, well, the destroyed entrance should prove the conspiracy more than anything. But the Earth King isn't moved. Katara realizes that the destruction at the outer wall is another example of proof they can share, but promising the Earth King a ride on Appa is the only thing that gets him to agree. On the way, after being both thrilled and terrified to ride on the Sky Bison, the Earth King shares that part of him hopes what they're saying about the war isn't true. I wish it wasn't, says Aang. I do like that the Earth King rides the monorail, too. <laughs> I thought it was weird that he did. Well, like, I I wonder if that was his idea, where he was just Probably. like, I want to be of my people, even though he's never been of his people a day in his life before today. Kind of like taking the opportunity where it's yeah. like, well, if we have to go out to Lake Laogai, might as well take the monorail because I'd never have before. Yeah, something like that, because they have Appa, so... and. Appa can more than handle what he's probably no more than 150 pounds, I would think. True. But Appa does not have a saddle right now. So they probably thought the monorail was a safer mode of transportation than, than Appa was. Yeah, that's true. They soon reach the outer wall and spot the remnants of the Fire Nation drill where it rests in the disrepair of its final moments. The Earth Kingdom soldiers have created an earthen wall around the Fire Nation's creation to hide it from view. Team Avatar and the Earth King land on the wall and stare down at the fallout. I can't believe I never knew, the Earth King says. Long Feng appears and assures him he can explain. This is nothing more than a construction project, he says. What? Really? Says Katara. <laughs> then perhaps you can explain why there's a Fire Nation insignia on your construction project? Long Feng claims the parts were imported, but it's clear that the Earth King isn't blindly going along with his explanations anymore. Dai Li, arrest Long Feng, orders the Earth King. I want him to stand trial for his crimes against the Earth Kingdom. The two Dai Li agents look at each other and then restrain their leader. The group watches as he's led away and Sokka cracks a joke that he's been holding on to for a while. Looks like Long Feng is long gone. <laughs> and then he just cracks up. It's so good. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> Oh, man, I loved it. So I also love that the absolute crap that Long Fang is peddling. He goes, well, it's clearly imported. Everyone knows that you don't buy domestic when you buy these things. And everyone's <laughs> Which just is like, such a USA joke. Yeah. <laughs> like, I think Mike and Brian made that to jab fun at the USA. Oh, yeah, for sure. But it's kind of interesting, too, that like the Earth Kingdom is heavily based on China and everything is made yep. in China. So then why would you... If everything's made in China, why would you buy from Japan? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like a mixed cultural joke. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very, it works on a, a whole bunch of different layers. He's like panicking. He's very smooth about his panic, but he's definitely not as smooth as we've seen in the past. And he's, he knows that he's pretty much found out. What I really liked is the almost double fake out that we get from the Daily. Yeah. Where they, he's like, arrest these men. And you kind of, once the Daily agents look at each other, you kind of expect them to go, no, and then like stage a coup. And then we have this whole big thing. But then they just like restrain him and take him away. Yep. But it gives you this lingering yeah. sense of something, something's going on here. Well, for me, it was actually the opposite. 
because I was like, oh, good, nothing's going on here. And then at the end of the episode, it made it all the more impactful. It's probably because I've seen this show more than you have. And so I'm like, oh, look at that. Look at that shared expression. Yeah, I was kind of like, good, I'm going to trust the situation. It can't possibly be any worse than what I was thinking. Oh, good. Everything's fine. Look, it all wrapped up in a nice bow. That's great. (laughs) (laughs) Sokka cracked a joke. That means everything's great. That's it. There we go. Positive Sokka. (laughs) Back in the throne room, the Earth King thanks Team Avatar for opening his eyes. All this time, what I thought was a great metropolis was merely a city of fools. And that makes me the king fool. He puts his head in his hand and says in disbelief, we're at war with the Fire Nation. Sokka and his friends have finally arrived at the moment they've been waiting for. They tell the Earth King about the upcoming solar eclipse and their invasion plan, the Day of Black Sun. I don't know, says the Earth King. That would require moving troops out of Ba Sing Se. We'd be completely vulnerable. You're already vulnerable, Sokka says. The Fire Nation won't stop until Ba Sing Se falls. You can either sit back and wait for that to happen, or take the offensive and give yourself a fighting chance. After a moment of consideration, the Earth King agrees and gives his support. It's kind of interesting that he's worried about being vulnerable when he has no idea that his forces on the wall just rely on the wall at all times and are Uh basically useless to any other threat. Yeah, we kind of talked about how at least Ba Sing Se in the Earth Kingdom relies so much on the wall that they have to the point where like their soldiers wear armor that's more ceremonial in appearance because they don't really fight. Meanwhile, all the other nations have gotten into more fights than they have because the Fire Nation has actually been a threat. Yeah, we saw it too on the the drill very slightly where it's like, oh, we're fine. The the walls, nothing can penetrate the wall. We're good. And they see this Mm -hmm. giant drill and the general's just like, uh, Avatar, I can use that help now. Thank you. Thank you. Yep, exactly. General Howe, the Earth King's highest ranking general and leader of the Council of Five, enters the chamber and reports that after searching Longfang's office, they found secret files on everyone in Ba Sing Se, including Aang and his friends. They recover stolen letters and messages, including a letter from Toph's mom, Guru Patik's message for Aang, and an intelligence report of a small fleet of water tribe ships protecting the mouth of Chameleon Bay. Team Avatar is faced with the decision stay together, or respond to each of their messages. They decide to go their separate ways. Toph will go find her mother in the city. Aang will go to the Eastern Air Temple to meet with the Guru. Sokka will go meet their father at Chameleon Bay. And Katara will stay behind to help the Earth King plan for the invasion. I love how Sokka was like, I'll stay here and you go find dad. And Katara yeah. was like, no, that means more to you. And he's just like, thank you, thank you, thank you. You're the best sister ever. And she's like, <laughs> I know. She gets this like kind <laughs> yeah, of tone yeah, in her voice. I know. <laughs> She's really good. Uh, General Howe, yeah. he- here's a little half Havzi's voice acting credit. Okay. The voice of Howe is Jim Meskimen, who if that name sounds familiar, it should, because he also voiced Lieutenant G, who was on <gasps> Zuko's Lieutenant ship. Lieutenant G. And we'll, we'll hear him again, because he does come back for Korra, as well as more Avatar, as Avatar Kuru. Oh, no way. We'll hear him again, yeah. That's awesome. I don't remember if you shared that last time. I think you did, actually. I just forgot. But that's so cool. Yeah. Quick note here, too. After Aang receives his letter from Guru Patik, Sokka makes this comment about, like, what's a guru? And he adds, like, some kind of poisonous blowfish. Yep. This is a reference to the similarly sounding fugu, a Japanese delicacy which claims several lives every year due to its inadequate preparation. 
I feel like the fugu is one of the more popular aspects of Japanese culture. It's like severely poisonous, Mm. but some of the most talented and professional chefs are able to prepare this fish by taking out the poison sack and basically making it like any other fish. So it's like a mark of pride and accomplishment if you are a chef who can serve fugu and not kill your patrons. It's still a little too risky. We haven't gotten there on MasterChef yet, so I'm sure we'll get there at some point. (laughs) I'm sure. (laughs) Now, while all of this is happening, across the city, Uncle Iroh and Zuko return to their apartment from the secret lair under Lake Laogai. Uncle tells Zuko that he made the right decision in letting the Avatar Sky Bison go, but Zuko isn't paying much attention. His vision is starting to blur, and he comments that he doesn't feel right. He collapses on the ground, knocking into and breaking a clay pot in the process. Iroh gets him into bed, gives him water, and uses a cool, damp cloth on his forehead to help bring his fever down. He instructs his nephew to stay under the blankets and sweat this out. Zuko sinks into a feverish sleep and dreams that he is home in the Fire Nation, except he's the Fire Lord and sits on the royal throne in front of his subjects. Two dragons, one red and one blue, appear behind him and wind themselves around the pillars of his days. The blue dragon has the voice of Azula and says, Are you planning to retire soon, my lord? I'm not tired, replies Zuko. Relax, Fire Lord Zuko. Just let go. Give in to it. Shut your eyes for a while. Zuko's eyes slowly close, but snap back open when the red dragon shouts in Iroh's voice, No, Fire Lord Zuko, do not listen to the blue dragon. You should get out of here right now. Go, before it's too late. Sleep now, Fire Lord Zuko, whispers the blue dragon. The lights dim until the room is plunged into darkness and the pillars of the days crumble around him. The forms of the soldiers crumble before the throne and out of the darkness appear two golden eyes, followed by the face of the blue dragon. Sleep, it croons, just like mother. We see Ursa's cloaked form in the blackness, and she calls out to Zuko to save her. But before Zuko can move, he's sucked into the void. When Zuko wakes again, Uncle tells him that what the young prince is experiencing is not a natural sickness. What Zuko did beneath the lake was in such conflict with Zuko's image of himself that he is now at war within his mind and body. Iroh serves Zuko tea and explains that he is going through a metamorphosis and it will not be a pleasant experience. But when he comes out of it, he will be the beautiful prince he was always meant to be. I don't know if you noticed this, but I've been so sure that Iroh in the scene is Greg Baldwin and not Mako. I think so. Yeah, I'm definitely hearing that. Yeah, like... There's this like natural grit to Mako that Greg Baldwin doesn't have. He gets literally everything else right. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's this grit and there's this slight mispronunciation of words that kind of yeah. gives it that charm. And Greg Baldwin just doesn't have that. But like other than that, the best Iroh you're going to get other than Mako himself. It's so fortunate they were able to find a replacement like that because, yeah. oh my gosh, whenever whenever an actor or actress passes away during production, it must be such a nightmare especially with like live action acting because you're shooting scenes with this person, but also with voice acting. I mean, so much of the character comes from the delivery of the voice acting. So to have found a replacement that sounds so close to Mako, I think it was um, fortunate for them because we're only, you know, halfway through Avatar The Last Airbender. Yeah, that's true. Also, I want to point out that the two dragons that Zuko is seeing in his fever dream uh, heavily mm-hmm. resemble 
Ran and Shaw, if that's not them. It's yes. so similar. Now, I went on like a 25-minute Reddit rabbit, rabbit hole, hole, essentially, <laughs> trying yeah. to figure out which one is which, and there's no canonical difference. No one has ever said Ran is the red one and Shaw is the blue one, although that is the that's like the accepted canon for fans. Yeah. And I don't know if that's just the alliteration that R and R. So like red is Ran and Shaw is just the blue one. Mm-hmm. But they are essentially the the first firebenders. So yeah, much like uh, the badger moles from the uh, what, what episode was that? The the cave of two lovers, where we learned the origin of earthbending. These guys were responsible for bringing firebending, and we'll see more of them later. So I don't want to give too too much away. Yeah, it's a good sneak peek, though. Yeah, it's really cool. I also really like that Azula was doing the voice of the blue one, where the face resembled the blue spirit. And so it's kind of like we talked about in the blue spirit episode, and I think a little bit after that, where this is him rebelling against his nature and his rebellion is kind of come full circle almost. And now it's not the face of his rebellion anymore. Now it's the face of what his father wanted him to be. Yep. Because it reminds him of his mother. Yeah. And Iroh is the red one. And the red one is him literally facing the uh, reality that his father doesn't love him and has no respect for him because he burned Mm -hmm. him and the color of his scar is red. So he literally has his mother and father voiced by his uncle and sister trying to take (laughs) over his soul. I like that. Yeah. The, The psychology in that, I don't even want to begin to really unravel. Because I feel like it's just a mess. Like it's it is a bit of a mess, but also to the gosh, man, to the to the credit of the team, it is such a good depiction of a dream. And also yeah. blue dragon, blue fire, because that's what Azula oh, yeah. bends with. Yeah. There's also that. There's also that. But like in the last episode, we saw when Katara was healing Jet using her healing bending. He looks down at the ground and the ground turns into the lake and then he sees mm-hmm. Long Fang and then he falls under the surface like that whole sequence. And then this whole sequence just gives me chills. It's very difficult to make a convincing and impactful and symbological dream sequence, especially mm-hmm. in writing, but also in like an animated medium. Mm-hmm. And I just thought they did it so well. Also, good Lord. Can we just talk about the delivery of Grey Delisle here? Like that that whole sleep just like mother delivery when the yeah. dragon's like coming at you with yep. its fangs oh it's so good she, she's a really talented voice actor i'm really impressed also not on voice actor thing but this just dawned on me as you were talking for zuko blue is the color of sadness like very specifically sure it is for everyone else too in the world but like mm-hmm. more targeted if you think about the ties between the, and this is, I guess, some spoilers that I already talked about very briefly, the blue spirit with his mother, like that tie, and also yeah. the fan theory that pretty much a lot of people are just accepting now, where uh, Zula's fire is blue because it's like the extra salt that's coming off of like her and her tears and stuff like that. Yeah. So you very much have this like sadness is evil. I know I said I wasn't going to try to like cut through <laughs> this psychology, this. but like I'm, yeah. I can't help myself. Like it's very interesting that he correlates sadness with also evil and not like mm-hmm. in his past. Also the blue dragon represents his past. The red one is his future and he's in his present. Yep. Well, I think a lot of it's wrapped up in his history and his past yeah. because 
so much. I mean, his father is, we can just say evil because of what he's done to him and the way that he cast him out. So Mm -hmm. I think a lot of the emotional baggage that Zuko carries is wrapped up with sadness and evil and power and memories of home. And so Azula also being a blue firebender, it fits into that place visually and symbolically very, very well. Yeah. And so, I mean, to your point, like, it's just really cool to see this dream sequence have so many layers to it. Yeah. The role of his parents, his past, the colors, the dragons and all of that. Later, Zuko wakes up and goes to the restroom to splash water on his face. He looks up into the mirror and sees not his own face reflected back at him, but Aang's. He wakes up with a start, still covered in sweat, and gently touches the scar on his face. This is super interesting. Well, it's not really Aang's face, necessarily. It's his face, but he's he's him, but he's Aang at the same time. Yeah. That's how I kind of read it. Because like he looks up, he, he sees his face, he moves his hand away, his scar's not there, and he like looks at his head, and he's bald, and he has the arrow. So he is an air nomad, so like... Him and Aang are like intertwined in a way that his brain is trying to make sense of. Yeah. Yeah. No, fair point. It is like still his facial structure. It's still his body, but he's bald and he has the arrow. And so he has the looks of an arrow nomad to him. But I think because of his relationship with the Avatar, I think it's like him seeing shades of Aang in him. And I think it's because of his actions. I mean, at least this is how I'm reading it. It's because of his decision to let Appa go and how he's kind of inadvertently helping the Avatar. And it's in opposition with what he has set out to do as his mission in life. It's like he's starting to see some parallels between his behavior and Aang. And so his brain is trying to come to terms with that. And so it gave him this visual of him being Aang or being an air nomad like Aang. I see that. Totally. I think my fr- my initial viewing was that they're like they're connected and he doesn't know why he doesn't know how. Yeah. But it's also it's also like his programming, for lack of a better term, is coming apart at the seams. So that's why he's also having this like physical reaction to it. This idea that he has held true since his mother left. He is now like not conforming to that anymore. And mm-hmm. by releasing Appa, he is starting to, at least we think, view his father as the evil scum that he actually is and trying to help the right side of history, so to speak. Yeah. But I'm gonna, this is going to sound so bad, but it's like little Zuko brain just can't like handle the mystical forces that are at work that like literally <laughs> the spiritual world is connecting him to Aang and he's trying to figure out why and he can kind of see that because... His uncle's been helping him so much. And we all know Iroh has been to the the spiritual world or the spirit world or has seen it at least because he saw Aang and Fang on a joyride like back in book one. Yep. That's that's actually something we haven't actually addressed yet is the spiritual ties here, because you're right. I think um, the two dragons are very much in tune with the spiritual world and that whole like realm is very much tied together. So, yeah, I think to some extent Zuko is spiritually connected and linked to Aang because of whatever, their fate, their destiny, their close proximity to each other, the way that they've kind of been weaving in and out of each other's lives for so many years. Or actually, it probably hasn't been that long. So many months. Month, Yeah, it's it's been close. It hasn't been a year. It's been closer to months, I would think. I forget. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, that's the thing is I think after this book, I'm going to go through the timeline on the wiki and just like really figure out how long we've been 
on this adventure so far. But for me, I feel more strongly now after the Swamp episode that all of Aang's bending instructors, teachers, masters, whatever you want to call them, are linked to him through the spirit world. Like, mm-hmm. it's not a coincidence that Katara and Sokka just happened upon him, right? It's not a yeah. coincidence that Aang had visions of Toph before meeting Toph and knowing that she was going to be his earthbending teacher. Yeah. I mean, as we learned in the swamp, everything is connected. Yep. So this is like, I think, Zuko looking into the spirit world. And because he's not the avatar and he's not focused like his uncle, then he doesn't really have any concept. He's kind of going a little crazy as well, maybe. Mm-hmm. There's a, a lot in this, like, literally, what, 30 second. <laughs> yeah, it's barely scene. anything. It's like a couple paragraphs in our in our write up. And there's just so much to go into about so, it. So much packed there. Yeah. yeah, man. I'm excited to go into it more when we do the recap, because this is feeling yeah. more like recap stuff. It is. It is. Yeah. We'll have to do a rewatch and make some notes. Yeah. But yeah. Great job, team. Mike and Brian, production team. Everyone, mm-hmm. you did such everyone. a great job. Back at the palace, before Aang and Sokka leave, Aang tries to tell Katara how he feels about her, but is interrupted by Sokka before he can get the words out. He doesn't get another chance either because the Earth King wishes them well, and then one of his guards arrives to report that three warriors from Kyoshi Island have arrived. Excited to hear this news, knowing that it must be Suki, Sokka tells the Earth King that he can trust the female warriors. No! I know. The Earth King tells them that in that case, the warriors will be treated as honored guests. Idiots. <laughs> Sorry. The moment has come. It's finally time to say goodbye. Katara kisses Aang on the cheek and the small group hugs each other one last time. This is like so feelsy. Also, it's yeah. like it's so weird to think of Team Avatar not being together anymore. They're literally going separate ways, all four of them. I know. It's very like... I don't know, like, it doesn't sit well with me that everyone's splitting up. Like, it's that part in Scooby-Doo where everyone goes their separate ways and the real stuff starts to happen. And it's just like, no, like, just stay together. Just everyone go on your little adventures together. It's like you did on vacations. Although, they lost all your mini vacations. They lost Appa when they did that. So maybe it's better that they're splitting. (laughs) Oh, no, 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 because they split up at the library. And that's how that happened. So, yep. Okay. Exactly. Yes. No good can come from splitting up because actually we talked about this a couple times, especially with Aang. We talked about how when Aang is left on his own, he makes choices that are not influenced by the wisdom and planning and logic and reason of his friends. And so I think it works that way with everyone, really, because they're stronger when they're together because they each bring something different to the table and they can help each other make good decisions, get through situations and all of that. So by splitting them up, it's like they're just they're left to their own devices. They're left to their own abilities. And depending on what happens, as we're going to say in the next episode, mm-hmm. sometimes it doesn't work out that great. I also like that Sokka inadvertently ruined a very romantic moment, potentially between Katara and Aang. Uh, as Sokka does. Aang was like, I want to tell you something. And it's been on my this mind for a little bit. This might be my only chance. And Katara's and... like, yes, please say it. Please say it. And Sokka is like, yeah, boys road trip. Let's do this. <laughs> so yeah. bad. It's cute, too, because I think Katara kind of knew what he was going to say. Yeah. But she's like, yeah. Yeah, yes? she definitely does. And she's feeling like we know she's feeling the same way. So now yeah. they just have to like say it to each other and then all yeah. will be well. And then there's also that moment where like Sokka's been as they keep on pointing out in this episode, just unusually positive throughout the whole thing. 
Uh-huh. So they're like riding on Appa's back and Sokka's like, yep, we're going to go do this thing. We're going to come back. The girls will be waiting for us and it'll all be great. And Aang was like, yeah, great. And then like literally it's the exact opposite is what's going to happen. Yeah. They're like, everything's going great. We have girls waiting for us. It's all going to work out fine. And it's like, meanwhile. Yeah. Actually, Ugh. on that note, mm-hmm. meanwhile, in the palace prison, Long Fang is served his dinner by a Dai Li agent. The Council of Five and the military are loyal to the Earth King, he tells Long Fang, but the Dai Li remain loyal to you, sir. Long Fang smirks and begins eating his meal. And his meal is delicious. It's like shrimp and like... Oh, it's gorgeous. It, yeah. it looks like gourmet sushi is what he's getting. And he's yeah. like, yeah, It's a whole spread. Yeah. Across the city, Toph arrives at the address shared in the letter she received from her mom. She knocks on the door of the spacious apartment in the upper ring and enters only to find the house completely empty. A metal cage falls from the ceiling and traps her inside. Shin Fu and Master Yu appear, having finally caught their mark. Who do you think you're dealing with? Toph shouts from inside her new prison. One loudmouthed little brat who strayed too far from home, replies Shin Fu. Oh, no. Yeah, I kind of like that right when you forget about Master Yu and Shinfu, uh-huh. they show right back up without fail. They've probably only been in this season, what, not even a handful of times, like yeah, three like times? Yeah, maybe three. Yeah. yeah. And it's right when you're like, all right, we don't have to worry about them anymore. Or you just clear forgot about them. And they're like, no, remember us? We're here to get you. Yep. It shows how patient they've been because I'm sure they've been camped out here in the city tracking them for a while and planted that letter as like the lure that would bring Toph. And ironically, the only reason this worked is because Toph was alone and she didn't have her friends with her. Because like we just said, when they split up, bad things happen. Yep. I also would really love to see a standalone episode of Master Yu and Shin Fu just (laughs) hanging out at Toph's like city house waiting for her because we don't yep. know when they sent that yes they've been in the city for a couple weeks at least and if and if this actually I wanted to be a miniseries and if it does not include a laugh track it's a missed opportunity completely oh my god it really would <laughs> play out like one of those so uh sitcom laugh track audience clapping type of deals where it's just like slapstick and stupid yeah oh man it'd be so good It really would. Back at the palace, the Earth King receives their honored guests from Kiyoshi Island. In our hour of need, it is with the highest honor that I welcome our esteemed allies, the Kiyoshi Warriors. The three women kneel before the grand staircase and look up at the Earth King. Dressed in the Kiyoshi Warrior outfit and face paint are Azula, Mei, and Tai Lee. We are the Earth King's humble servants, Azula says. Boo. And that is our episode. Go away. Ugh. It's not great that we don't see the warriors of Kiyoshi now. Right? Because it they is were, not. They were fighting. In case everyone, anyone forgot. Right. Yep. They were fighting in Appa's last days against Azula and all them. So. Yep. The last <laughs> thing we saw was Suki and Azula like entering a fight as Appa was flying away. So. Mm-hmm. We don't know what happened to Suki. Mm -mm. She better be okay, or I am going to stop this podcast. We're going to turn it right around. We're going to go right back to book one. (laughs) That's what's going to happen. It's going to be a while till we find out. But, you know, 
things are just going to get worse before they get better. That's yeah. all I can say. Yeah, I remember some things and they're not uh, they're not pleasant things. No, no. All right, Greg, who's your MVP? My MVP for this episode, I think, is going to have to be the king. Yeah. Because although he was skeptical of Team Avatar when they first showed up, he did give them the benefit of the doubt and he covered his bases really well. This could have gone a much different way. Oh, yeah. This could have gone either a I don't believe you at all. This is my most trusted advisor like that Jafar and Sultan from Aladdin kind of way. Mm-hmm. where he's just not going to listen to any sort of reason. But the fact that he was able to so quickly just be like, you know what, you might be right and look at the evidence and not immediately dismiss it shows that he's not an idiot, although he kind of looks like he kind of he's kind of an idiot, but he's not an idiot. Yeah, there's a difference between being an idiot and being ignorant. Yes. And not willfully ignorant. Right. He's just he's ignorant because he's been literally controlled and like gaslighted and told the world is one way, but he's open to being proven wrong. Yes. And I also think he had his suspicions too. That's why he was also so quickly to be like, you know what? Yeah. Let's hear more of this. And also it's the Avatar. Like, how are you going to say like, no, I don't believe the Avatar. That was honestly a slip up on Long Fang's part. Like Mm -hmm. you announced the Avatar and the Avatar has been around for, you know, thousands of years. So everyone in the world knows of the Avatar. They know what it is. So you announce someone like that with that title. And of course, the king's going to be like, wait, what? The Avatar? Wait, wait, wait. What's going on here? Yeah, he could have very easily said something else. And even if Sokka or Hank was like, I'm the Avatar, you know, Long Fang could have been like, that's yeah. not the Avatar. He could have made up another lie where it's like, well, yeah, he was an air nomad a hundred years ago. What do you think? He was just frozen in ice for a hundred years. It's ridiculous. <laughs> yep. And then that could have continued it a little bit. But yeah, Long Fang ends up as really cool and calculating as he has been. He turns out to just be another Zhao in every possible sense of the term. That is true. Yep. Yep. That's true. I got to go with the same MVP, honestly. The Earth King is our our MVP this episode because you're right. If it wasn't for the decisions that he made, this would be a very different episode. It would probably end up being a prison break episode because they would have been thrown in jail. They would have had to have escaped and tried again and and all that. So, you know, props to the Earth King for actually being open to following his curiosity and listening to reason and also kind of challenging Team Avatar to really get into it and explain and show him things. Because can you imagine if he believed them at first, mm-hmm. but wasn't shown any proof, mm-hmm. it could have been flipped on them later on. That's true. But he actually saw it with his own eyes. He actually was forced to accept and look at the truth so i think in the long run that gives him a stronger conviction yeah for sure what about your moral of the episode i don't know this one's so tough (laughs) it is it's like there was so much action happening in this episode where and and so much psychology stuff going on that i didn't really extract like a, a very like obvious moral but i think if we continue with the train of thought of the king where you know I think I think this episode is saying it's one thing to trust the people around you, but it's another to be ignorant of ulterior yeah, motives. That's where my brain landed too. Yeah. So it's something like, I don't know. Do your due diligence. Yeah. Yeah. Hear out if someone says a story that doesn't align with your idea of another person, idea, thought, whatever, do your homework. Do your due diligence. Look at all the facts and make the decision for yourself. Just don't say or repeat something because 
someone else did, unless yep. you're quoting one of my wonderful puns. And then please just don't <laughs> even worry about that moral. And just run with it. Just yeah. go with it. Yeah. No, actually, that that's a really good reminder, even for this day and age in the... Yeah. The age of information where mm. there's so much information circulating every single day. A lot of it is not based on truth. It's yep. a lot of it is just long fangs trying to get you to believe one way or the other. So, yep. you know, one of the most valuable things I've ever learned in school is the journalist rule of three. Mm -hmm. Before you believe something, go check three reputable sources. And if they all say the same thing, then you're probably good. You're probably good to believe that thing. Don't just swallow advice or information blindly because who knows? The world could have a lot more than one long thing. That's true. I'm going to sound like everyone's fifth grade teacher right now and tell you that <laughs> Facebook is not a reputable source of, of Thank information. Thank you. Yes, it, it is not. Throwing that or out Twitter. there. There's or just Twitter. There's a lot of angry people on Social Twitter. Don't media believe Twitter. is not <laughs> yeah. a reputable source of exactly. information. That does no, not it's count. Not. So always, always remember that you read something on Facebook or Twitter and go, huh, yep. what could be wrong here? What mm. could Long Fang be telling me in this post that I shouldn't believe? Well, if you follow at Booster Greg on Twitter, then he's probably telling you that you can find me right there on Twitter. This is not a great segue in hindsight, but it's <laughs> fine. And you could also find me over at twitch.tv slash booster greg when streams start to continue back up which i feel like at this point they probably should be but who knows we'll see it's a great time over at twitch.tv slash booster greg mm -hmm. go give our friend here a follow yeah please I, i've i've resulted to begging please follow me <laughs> please suck do you, want, have more, a follow? do you want more puns oh they're there <laughs> And you can find me online at Acorn Bandit or on joysons.com. That's J-O-I-S-A-N-S.com, where I make enamel pins, including our oppa pin for Avatar the Podcast. Yes. And a special release for book two is our Toph pin designed mm -hmm. by our very own Booster Greg. Me. My first pin ever. So you and don't want to miss so you don't want to miss that collectible. No, you can't. You can't. You cannot miss out. So check it out on joysons.com. You can also go to Etsy and look up Joyson Studio if you prefer Etsy. Yes. But that is all the time we have for this week. Coming up next time. Cleaner chakras for a cleaner you. And there is no war in Ozai Sing Se. <laughs> all this and more next time on Avatar, Avatar the, the Podcast. podcast. Avatar, the podcast, is a proud part of the Geek Generation Network. Remember to check out all of our other podcasts at thegeekgeneration.com.